0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great to, uh, to be here this morning, and we continue um, our series uh, called Blessed Hope, and our, our aim is we are learning to long for the return of Jesus. Advent has historically been not just an anticipation of Christmas and it coming and celebrating uh, the arrival of God as an infant um, in the manger, that the story that most of us or many of us are, are very familiar with, but it's also been directly linked to this longing for his return. And I've mentioned this if you're kind of playing along for the first time today. Um, The idea that I've long resisted this uh, simply because I had this picture in my head that either God was going to interrupt my plans or things I wanted to do, his return ends all that and I can't do it anymore, Um, or it's going to unleash this cataclysmic war uh, of which the world has never seen and we will be terrified uh, and we will be lucky if we survive and all this other stuff. And it's this idea of what God's going to do in his return, which is known as sort of are uh, retributive justice, and these are kind of big words. Um, and in my own study of this, and if you're, uh, if you're playing along, we're going to look in Revelation uh, 13. We're going to talk about the baby in a manger, a dragon, and the number of the beast. How's that for today? Uh, Revelation chapter 13. As I've been wrestling this for the last 10 years, and this is pre-really reading Revelation. I just haven't really, I've kind of avoided it, to be honest. But this sense that what God is doing in the Scriptures and in the storyline of the Scriptures, what we read and when we, when we really start to process, say, Lord, what are you revealing about yourself and what you want in the world? Um, what I found is it's not trying to evacuate people who follow Jesus into heaven so they escape the, difficult, the difficulty of the world. That's, that's just not the storyline at all. The end of the Bible, we'll look at this next week, ends the way the Bible begins with heavens and earth reunited and restored, returned to a way of life under the rule of God's love, where human beings, humanity, bears his image fully and freely and cooperates and contributes with him in the way he intends to rule. It's this beautiful picture of of justice, of restoration, And a lot of us read the the book of Revelation as though, and most of the Bible, we read it as though God is coming to punish particularly people who don't agree with us, right? Particularly people who don't struggle with the same things we struggle with. It's those people who are going to be punished. So we, we sort of long for this. And we saw last week there was this prayer for God to bring vengeance on behalf of his people, God, bring your vengeance to reign and to punish people. And they, he did that. He honored that. And then they still didn't repent. So we have been looking at this idea of revelation through these three cycles, these ideas. And the return of Jesus is described throughout the scriptures as a blessed hope and not just some dreaded end to the world. We've been looking at this passage in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us this grace that has appeared, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the work of Christ, teaches us to live differently, to, to do something different, to live under a different way and to live under a di- or in a different way under a different rule while we wait for this blessed hope. And this blessed hope that we'll see in the next is the blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to pull us away, to redeem us, to restore us from the way in which we we tend to live, the pull of our lives. We are pulled away from that and we are purified Right? And then out of that sort of purification process, out of that, we become moved or compelled. Um, the, the better word than prepared is zealous for good works. We are moved to offer ourselves for good in this world. That's the picture in this. And so the question is, why revelation? I, th- I think a lot of us, and, and, and this is where I, I've talked to a lot of people, people talk about justice, and justice is a big topic in our culture, and, and rightly so. Um, justice definitely, like there's no question that justice has an idea or an implication on our obligation to God, that we will give an account for our lives. It, it definitely means that. And a lot of people, if it depends on which side of the aisle or which side of the political spectrum or how you've grown up, that's your, oh yeah, that, that's exactly right. But it also has implications on social justice, on how we are in the world. It's not one or the other, it's both. It's both. It's both. The reason is, it's not because one of these is right. Well, one of these is right. It's, it's, the reason is because what a lot of us believe that justice is, is, re, is retributive. It's, it's retribution. It's where people are finally punished for what they have done wrong. Justice is sort of seen as people finally get what it is that they deserve. Things are righted. All And what, what God says is, and I think what's happening is with this idea of redemption or return, is that justice is the redemption of shalom. It's where God is restoring things to the way that he's intended them to be. And this is what grace does for us. It allows us to participate, even though we deserve something different. It allows me to participate, even though I have done something different. And even though there are times in my life, I still want to do things different. When you think about sin as a rule, and not just a behavior, you begin to understand some of these other difficult things in the scriptures we're gonna look at in just a minute. So we're gonna read uh, some passages of Revelation, some long, so if you have your Bibles, you can look there, we'll be putting on the screens. We're gonna read some, and here's why. This is how the book of Revelation begins. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. This is written probably around 90 AD, so close to 2,000 years ago. All right, Uh, over 2,000 years ago. My math is not super great. Yes. No, forget it. (laughs) I've been talking about the beast and So we're we're gonna stay there. The, The revelation of Jesus Christ, to show you what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. Who testifies, this is an important word you're gonna start to see. Who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's what we're going to do. It. We're just going to read it aloud and believe that God's going to bless us for it. Uh, who, believe, who, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Because the time is near. It's interesting what is, what is talked about in this as this whole thing unfolds is this idea of Testimony or testifying. So we can see that the idea would be to bear witness. To testify is a lot of you if you grew up in the church, you thought witnessing meant going to someone knocking on their door and asking if they were to die today. Do they know whether they go to heaven or hell? Y'all ever had that happen to you? We equate that with witnessing. That is not at all what witnessing means in the Bible. To bear witness means to testify to what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have experienced. And it has a weight to it. It's actually the, the Greek word is martous for witness. Martous, which is where we get the modern word martyr, which means what? To be killed for your faith, to witness, to bear witness has implications. It comes out of us. It's people who've been purified and have, are zealous or moved to this, to bear witness is to bring that to bear on the world around us. Last week we left off with the two witnesses, right? This sets up this contrast of the subversive way in which God works in the world, right? They thought they were going to bring down this, this, you know, call to, to bring down fire and, and all the plagues and people would repent. They didn't. But when the witnesses and the people who followed after them gave themselves, that's what ushered in repentance. It's this, it's this sort of, um, it's this contrast between force and threat and even law. To force people to do things because the law says so. Even that, it's the contrast between that and this other others-oriented, self-sacrificing love. And what the the call of Jesus seems to be is this whole idea of bearing witness. And he doesn't give us a time frame, but rather he tells us to, hey, testify. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus has resurrected. He's telling them, Hey, I'm going back to heaven by the Father, but I'm gonna come back to get you. He's telling them this, and you know what they wanna know? When? When's it gonna happen? Can you tell me when find me in the kingdom? Look at what Jesus says. I've almost never read it in this context before. This is what they're asking, the same question. The people who read Revelation is like this code, like, was it Obama? Is it Trump? Like, who's the antichrist? He said to them, this is Jesus talking. It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what are you to do? What are you to do? Is it up there? You will be my witnesses. You will bear witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all around the world. And those are all loaded. So how are we to be as witnesses? Are you gonna knock on people's door and ask them the question? How do you bear witness? How do you bear witness? What we've been saying is this, and I think this is exactly what we're gonna see over the next few minutes today, is that when we taught this last week that you faithfully navigate the chaos. A lot of us believe that somehow the intent and the will of God in this world is to eliminate the chaos from it. And the way he's supposed to do that is by destroying all the people who bring the chaos in the world. The problem is the chaos isn't the people, it's the system, it's the rule under which we live. It's the rule of sin and the reign of death. That's what it is. And we have to faithfully navigate this world that we live in. Number two is we have to trust the force of God's love. This has become a theme in our church over the last few, probably six or seven months. And the more I study this, the more I wrestle with this, and personally, the more I realize it, I think this is what God is asking of us, right? We, We can try to change the world by making sure that everybody complies with what we believe and what we think. And we can work really hard to that end. We can control people's behavior. We can manipulate people's behavior. We can do that. Or we can learn to trust another force, another rule in the world, to trust the force of God's love. That somehow if we act and reflect, we bear witness to who God actually is, that he is sufficient to bring about what he's promised in the beginning. And our job is to do this until this blessed hope finally appears. Is that, that's, you're tracking with this? Okay, so this is where it all goes. It's interesting that one of the things that happens in this, because this is how sacrifice subverts. What you begin to see, and and I don't have time to get into this because it was just too long and dense. I just had to squish it into a time frame that one, I can do in an amount of time and two, that we can stomach in an amount of time. But there's a part in there where they, they have this, this whole imagery. It's a riff off of a Greek myth that John is riffing off of. And it's about a woman giving birth and a person coming and snatching the baby away. And it's all this stuff. And it basically is an overturn that was, we were going to decide that we're going to ask God to kill all these people and bring about repentance. And it didn't work. But they overcame. But in the end, they overcame. And here's the song they sang in Revelation 12, 11. They triumphed over him over the beast, over the this um, this dragon, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, by their witness. This is this is this is what you begin to see unfold in Revelation. They triumphed by the blood of the lamb, this this whole different way in which we thought things were going to happen, and by the way we bore witness, by the way we bear witness. The way to bring about this kind of change in the world, the way to, to bring about repentance, to, to bring people to understand is by bearing witness to what God has done. So what, is, what threatens our faithful witness? Is it us not knowing enough? No, it's not that. It's something else. So this is what we're gonna read together. Now, you're gonna have to stay with me. This is gonna be a little bit long and involved. so we're gonna read it together. So take a deep breath. For real? Are you with me? Okay. Revelation chapter 13 the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Someone asked me, they said, Mike, do you think? So, you know, was John smoking something? That's option one. Was John, hey, he was getting old and he'd been exiled for a while and maybe just the, you know, maybe just ain't working like he used to. That's another option. But to me, what's fascinating about this is this book is written so precisely in um, in the character with the patterns that existed in Daniel and in Ezekiel and Zechariah? The man John saw this and like he is writing down to bear witness to what is to come. That's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna trust this. He's not trying to give us a code to figure out who the Antichrist is or when Jesus is returning. And some of you will go, I disagree, fine. Um, But I want you to just to to stay with me because he's talking about witness, about bearing witness and what is it that threatens it. So there's this dragon that comes out. The dragon has seven horns, uh, uh, sorry, 10 horns and seven heads. And with ten crowns on its horn, and on each of the head is a blasphemous name. The beast that I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like those of a lion. This is a direct quote from the book of Daniel, where he's talking about the empires of Babylon and Persia and Mede, or Median. Like he's, he's referring to this. Some people believe it was Greece, but that's, that's, it's, he's referring to these empires that ruled the world by force and the threat of force. This is what he's talking about. And it says the dragon gave the beast. So the dragon is this serpent-like figure, more than likely the same illusion to what was in the garden, the serpent in the garden, the the dragon. And he, he gives this beast its power. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. He's fueling this movement of these empires. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. (laughs) the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast and people worshiped the dragon because he had, had, had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and they asked who is like the beast and who can wage war against it and the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise its authority for 42 months I don't have time to talk about the 42 months but here's the point if I'm right, if what I'm saying is true and it has merit, and it's this idea of this rule, this system of the world that, was, that operated in Babylon, it operated in Persia, it operated in Greece, it operates in Rome, then everywhere this thing operates, it seems to be fueled by some kind of dragon, by some kind of force, a rule, Satan, whatever you want. To, I think that's what it is. But it's, it's ruled by this, this, this anti-Christ, and what I think it is, is the seven heads and one has fatal, a fatal wound, but he just keeps coming back. I think it's the picture that no matter if Babylon falls, guess what's going to happen? Another head's going to appear. If Rome falls, another head's going to appear. If whatever empire falls, there's gonna be, whenever, whenever there's a power vacuum, another group is going to emerge. And it's, I don't know if I have time to do this. I'll do it at five o'clock tonight. I can't do it today. Sorry, you can come back. Here's the point. Because this has to do with the political left and the political right. How's that for a teaser? Verse 10, here's the message to us. This calls all of this, this, this idea of this emergence and this resurgent, this continuation, these cycles that exist in our world that aren't going away. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Are you tracking? Another vision. Verse 11, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. If you're paying attention to remember what John heard, he's just using this again, what he heard earlier on in this book. When he thought that God was gonna bring down the thunder, he heard the root of David, line of Judah, and he turned, and what did he see? A slain lamb. And here, what we see is a lamb that speaks like a dragon. We see the opposite of this. This dragon, or this beast, exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and it made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. We just get sucked into this system. Does anybody ever feel like that? Like, this is my... This is my problem with what's happened in a lot of the elections is the people of God, the church has gotten sucked in to a beast. We got pulled into this and then we get used. When we've been asked and invited to live in a different way, a different realm, we keep reading and I'm just gonna skip on down. The second beast was given power, verse 15. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. We just keep breathing life into this way of life because we we don't have another vision or another way so that the image could speak and cause all those who refuse to worship, uh, all those who refuse to worship the image to be killed, to end up dying. It has also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to mark uh, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their right foreheads. Um, we went to Taylor Swift a few years ago. We wrote 13 on our hand. We were like dudes, we were big time. And we're like, oh, that's the mark of the beast on our right hand. Um, or on their forehead so they could not sell um, or buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Verse 18, here's another call for us. This calls for what? For wisdom, not panic, not your gut reaction, not whatever's happened on Twitter or Instagram or CNN or Fox News or whatever anybody else has said. It calls for wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We have to encounter him if we're going to understand or even have a Shot, I understand this. And I only added this in here because I didn't want people to go, oh, you cut this verse off prematurely. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Long story short, <clears throat> more than likely, this is a practice. Uh, uh, gematri, I think is how you pronounce it, it's the Hebrew idea where each number is assigned. Each letter is assigned a number because they didn't have the numerical system that we have. And so we'd read this out and Nero Caesar would equal 666. It was more than likely a direct reference to Nero and Rome. Nero was thought to have resurrected and to come back. They thought it was a dragon. There's all this stuff that kind of plays into this. There are other interpretations. I just think that's very plausible. Here's my point. We need, what you and I need to start asking for, is patient Endurance are you willing to stay in something long enough to see it through? It's interesting, you read this throughout, throughout the scriptures, right? I remember one of the prayers that kind of start, that's kind of central to this church is that God would help us to, to gain the knowledge of all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then it goes on, it says that he would give us uh, all power so he can whoop everybody and get our way. No, all power for patient endurance. He gives us his strength for this very reason. We need patient endurance and we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Here is the surprise to me. The surprise to me out of this is the appeal of the world system. There are parts of it I like. I like it. I like it in some ways because I know how to use it. I know how to get my way in it. You ever feel like this? You know how the game is played. Let's just play it really well. It's, there's an appeal to that. If you've ever dealt in brokered deals or wielded power or influence, there's sort of a there's, an, there's a, there's a, there's an addiction to this. This is why what you're gonna find in the rest of this, that this Babylon, this woman of Babylon, it says that the, the earth is drunk on her wine. Because it's the intoxication of power. It's interesting, I think there's, I can't remember, the the quote, right, is um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Erwin McManus said this, he said, no, it doesn't. Absolute power reveals absolutely. God has absolute power, and the way he's chosen to reveal himself is drastically different than when we get to have charge. It just reveals the difference. And what's happened is our call to bear his image has given way to this temptation to force and to drive and to get. These are all the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. The appeal of the world system. And number two is how subversive God's kingdom really is. We are always prone to project on God what we would do if we were him. I assume that's true of you. It's true of me. That's usually my first prayer. Lord, here's what I would do if I were you. You ever got this one? And sometimes, like 1% of the time, I'm right. And most of the time, he's like, just sit down in that chair right there. Let me show you how it's done. Down the mountain, run, boy, run. Devil's in the house of the rising sun. If you remember, right John is distraught because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. He he heard the root of David. Mentioned this a second ago. He heard the line of Judah. These were were, um, metaphors of this conquering king who's gonna come and end the empire with this threat of force. But he saw Remember, a land that was slain. You skip down to verse seven and then again in verse 14, John heard a number of those who were gonna be numbered among the saints. You've probably heard this before, right? The 144,000, you've heard about this? He numbered them. This is, this is a riff off of when they were getting ready to go in the book of Numbers to enter in and to, to, to exercise the conquest, to take the promised land. The first thing he had to do is to create a military census, one from each tribe of Judah. And that's exactly what happens here. He heard the census. There would be 12,000 taken from each of the tribes of, of, of Israel, numbering 144,000. When he turned, you know what he saw? And so if I've, never, I've, I've always heard this like, oh, there's 144,000. That means I'm probably out. 144,000 for sure already gone. And But when he heard that and what he saw, was a great multitude that no one could count. And what you see is there's this one thing that we hear, but then we encounter, we see something different. This is the tension that's established in Rome. We learn that repentance doesn't come through, through, the, through, through force or retribution or even judgment. Right? All of the, the parallels in Revelation are pretty much directly associated with the plagues in Egypt. What did Pharaoh do? Did he fall down and repent? No, he dug his heels in the sand. We, we, did, we see this throughout. A lot of us know we've tried this. We've tried to threaten the relationships that we have. Our kids, we try to threaten them. We've tried to, to, to do all these things and, and it doesn't yield the kind of results that you want. If you threaten your kid, right, or you threaten your wife or you threaten whoever or manipulate whatever and they do what you want them to do or do what you have expected them to do or do what you have manipulated them to do, when they do it, you don't know if they did it because they wanted to or not. If, I say, if my wife says, man, I just, I just really want some flowers today and I show up with flowers, she's like, oh, thank you very much. But, I, but she doesn't know if I only got them because she was gonna kick me out if I didn't bring them. I mean, she's not gonna do that, but you get the idea. When you do that, you lose the freedom that we all long for relationally. This is is what he's driving. This is what is being driven at the whole time. The end, this is is where I want to, to kind of land for us. The end of each of these sections of Revelation simply reveals over and over and over and over again that God's kingdom is revealed in the loving sacrifice of the Lamb. That's what it is. Now, I don't like it because I'd rather it be revealed and, boom, us winning. All I'm trying to say, Lord, would you show us your will and your way? And this is why the appeal of the world system is so or why why the world system is so appealing to us, especially those of us who have the power to win. And so here we are. Back to Titus, we have been redeemed from all wickedness. We no longer live underneath that rule any longer. We have, a way has been made for us to live in a different way. And the question is, will we bear witness of that way? Isn't that it? That's really the question? How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond in all the ways? Redemptive activity, which we've talked about, is faithful witness to God's promise. It's you and I learning to bear witness. And the other thing you have to keep in mind, that it is always relational. It is always Relational because redemption is relational. God could have forced the world back to him, but he came. Incarnation. In order to restore us to a relationship because redemption is not some legal system that rewards and punishes, but it's a, rest, it's, it's a relationship. The willingness to live and to trust and to belong and to be in such a way that it restores, or we are restored to the way of life under which we have been created to live. I want for us, and it's coming again, I want for us to navigate the chaos of this world that is likely to continue for the next, we'll call it 48 months. I have no idea how long it's gonna last. It's just not going to be two. To navigate this without losing our minds and without losing heart, I talk to people who have given up and they want Jesus to return because they've given up. But it's not bearing witness of God's promise to restore all things. I want us to navigate without losing our minds, without losing our hearts, and without losing our witness in the world. Redemptive activity is not just the programs that we are involved in, although those are important. But it's the way we bring his image to bear in every encounter and every exchange that we have. So I wanna turn the two big ideas into two big questions. And this is what I want would ask you to reflect on um, this week because you're gonna ask me about what I think about the beast and who I think the beast is. I'm gonna say, here's the questions that I want us to wrestle with. We can wrestle with that later. And it's not unimportant. It's just not as important as this. Question number one, and we're gonna ask this personally, how can I navigate the chaos faithfully? Where are places in your life that you're over it And you have the means and the wherewithal to make your way happy, happen or happy, to make your way happen. But instead, you want to bear a faithful witness of the Lord. How can I navigate the chaos faithfully? And also, here's the second part, full of hope. This is an important piece. It's a blessed hope. This isn't, well, those people... This is a blessed hope, we believe something. We believe something different. And so we're not threatened or bothered or dismayed or discouraged, full of hope. Number two is how can I, how can you, how can me, how can we trust the force of God's love? And you all know what this is like. There are ways where you can get things done by force or you can begin to figure out how can I allow the force of God's love to do things far more pervasively and ultimately far more eternally than I can. It's the parenting trick, man. I can make my kids do stuff when they were two and three and four. You can make them sit down. You can make them pick up their shoes and they get to be 16, and you can't really make them do anything anymore. You think you can, but you can't. And the challenge, right, is how are we going to be able to trust the force of something other than our capacity to force them to do things? Can we trust that somehow something works in them, deep inside of them, that forms and shapes them into the kind of people who do what we want them to do? I'm just kidding. You get the idea. Where can I, where can you breathe worth and value into the soul of another? What would be required of you to live in this way? The world isn't changed by us threatening, even demanding, but it's changed by the way we are willing to give ourselves and offer ourselves in others-oriented, self-sacrificing love. So how's that to chew on? Merry Christmas. (laughs) Because we're longing, like I want us, and it may take us another two decades, I want us to learn to long for his return. It's the blessed hope for which we wait, and until then we navigate this chaos faithfully, bearing witness, and never lacking in hope. That's what the world desperately needs to see. This week's podcast, we're going to focus on the prayers of Jesus, and you can learn a lot about God's heart by the prayers of his son. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, And a part of me wants to do, like, Luke (laughs) 2. Instead of Revelation 13, um, but man, there's so much in here for us to grab hold of. There's so much that challenges the way I think about the world, and I assume the way we think about the world. God, that you would reveal to us and help us wrestle with our own sense, not just as individuals, but also what it means for us to do this together, to bear witness of a different way in which human beings can live and be alive, and be full and be free. Man, would you help us to live with like it? God, would you help us to live like that in a way that brings and bears witness of your promise on the world around us? So I thank you for that. I ask you to do that. And lift all this name of your son Jesus, who is our coming king. It's in his name we pray. Amen.